Well, again, uh, for those of you who came in maybe just after my opening greeting, uh, good morning to you. It's great, uh, great to have you here. I had mentioned earlier that we are starting this uh, brand new series today, uh, part one of four on um, being unbroken. And uh, if you haven't yet had a chance to take out your um, insert, I'd encourage you to do that. And um, again, if you're, if you're a first-time person, you'll notice on one side there's a bunch of questions. Um, we use those in our small groups, but those questions can also be used just in your personal devotion life this week, or if you're married, you can do it as a couple's devotion and go through those, those questions together. Um, as we think of our country and our culture right now, um, there are a lot of things that seem to be bothering a lot of people, Right? And there is a feeling that our country and our world, for the most part, is broken. And one of the things our communities really need, I think, right now, more than ever, are churches that are, are willing to take what is very much um, going on in our world and to apply God's timeless truth to it. And that really is the kind of church that we want to be as we tackle uh, tough issues sometimes and unpack them in the light of, of God's truth. And again, one of the main ideas behind this series. Uh, there might be things that we talk about over the next four weeks that you don't necessarily at first agree with or that make you think a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, I can promise you this, all of what we're going to share is God's truth, nothing more, nothing less, and sometimes God's truth makes us wrestle a little bit, even for pastors. So with that kind of introduction, I um, wanted to kick us off with uh, a quick story. Uh, so this fall... Um, we had some furnace issues at our house, which is pretty ironic because we had some furnace issues last night as well. Different ones, but uh, um, still some furnace issues. And it, it kind of all started in the fall with a phone call that I got from Carrie that there's smoke in the house and what should I do? And so we decided pretty quickly, let's call 911. And so we did. Our friendly area firemen came over and checked it out. And, and long story short, it wasn't anything very dangerous or serious, and, and nothing, was, nothing was damaged, so that's good. Probably about three weeks later, when we got another really cold spell, in the middle of the night, Carrie and I both woke up kind of simultaneously to the same thing. What woke us up was the smell of something burning. So looked in our room, there was no smoke, so that's good. Isolated the smell as to coming from the vent, the furnace vent again. Went downstairs in the furnace room to make sure there wasn't a fire where there shouldn't be a fire, and everything was okay, and then the smell went away. All right, it's the middle of the night. Go back to sleep. The smell came back. Get up, wondering what it is. The smell went away. And this, this kept going on for a day before we were able to, uh, to, to contact someone. But here's, here's the question, and I know the, the answer to this question is going to be pretty obvious, but just stick with me because it's going to lead to a, a bigger point. When something like that would happen, you can either address the symptoms or the cause, and which should you address? Because the symptom was a smoke smell that didn't allow us to sleep. 
So if we were to just address the symptoms, Carrie and I could have gone downstairs and could have gotten a chip clip, you know, and put it on my nose and probably wouldn't have smelled it as much. And we could have, Carrie wouldn't do this, but you could stick Kleenexes up your nostrils and you probably wouldn't smell it as, as much. You could open the window, smell would probably mostly go outside, put a little fan there to push it out. I could get Glade fresheners for the room and, and that might help. Red honeysuckle nectar, that's one of the flavors. And, you know, let's have a nice combination of, of smell and, and maybe we could sleep. But you intuitively know, I told you this would be obvious, that that is not what is really needed. You can address the symptoms all day, but what you need to do is address the cause. So what did we do? We called a repairman, because I am really bad at repairs. And he did a diagnostics check, and he figured out what the root cause was, which, by the way, just in case you're wondering, uh, the blower fan was there's like an electrical short in it, so it tried to engage, and instead the smell was coming from the, uh, the electrical portion of the blower fan. Got that fixed, all is good. Here's the broader point. There may not be a burning smell in our country, okay? <laughs> but there is symptoms of something going on, right? There, there seems to be problems, Okay? People seem to be more upset than ever, more polarized than ever. Um, Anger and frustration is very, very high racially, politically, religiously, everything. Uh, Cooperation and empathy seem to be very, very low. There's problems. You know that. And we could, as people... And especially today as Christians, we could address the symptoms. And there's a, there's a lot of rhetoric about addressing symptoms. There's a lot of potential solutions. It's getting the right person in office, the wrong person out of office. It's creating new laws. It's keeping old laws. It's building a wall. Others want to build a bridge. Others want to build an army. I mean, there's, there's all these solutions, but here's the point that most of what we talk about and most of what people get fired up about are all about symptoms. But what if we, what if we really dug in down onto the cause? It worked for my furnace. It's not going to be an overnight solution, but I think it would help more than getting all fired up about the symptoms sometimes. So what we're going to do to start out today is I'm actually going to, at the very beginning of this first message, give you what I believe from Scripture is the cause. And then for the next three weeks and the rest of the sermon today, we're going to unpack it a little bit, okay? So to get to the cause... We're going to turn to some words from a pastor in the first century. His name was Paul. In fact, he wrote over half of the the New Testament, planted a whole bunch of churches all over um, Europe and Asia, around the Mediterranean Sea. And here's some interesting words he wrote in a letter to some Christians in Romans that I think help us. He said this, For... The creation, the world, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, 
but by the will of the one, and in context, the one is referring to the first person who lived, the first man, Adam, who subjected it. Does it ever feel to you like the world is just frustrated with itself? Like people are frustrated with each other? That's an obvious one. Here's what Paul says. He says that creation, the entire world, and in context also, people in the world, everyone, everything was subjected to this frustration, this this inability to get along, (laughs) for things to work smoothly, not by its own choice, but it happened through the will of Adam who subjected the world to it. This is reference to the Garden of Eden, the very first sin, when everything changed. God had created the world so that everything worked perfectly. The growing season always worked perfectly. There weren't droughts. There wasn't flooding on the other end of the spectrum. Things grew the way they were supposed to. People didn't get sick. People didn't die. People didn't argue. People didn't fight. There weren't fights in marriage. Adam and Eve, for as long as they had before the fall into sin, had the the perfect marriage. Imagine that, huh? And then sin came into the world, and everything changed. And this world was subjected to frustration. If, if you think that, uh, you know, generations before us didn't feel some of the same frustrations that we feel right now, then you probably haven't read a lot about Abraham Lincoln or George Washington or other parts of our history and world history. There's nothing new under the sun, just different avenues to get there. So the cause of the problems right now, the brokenness of our world, and the brokenness in us is sin, our first villain. The symptoms are many, but at the root, and again, we're going we're gonna to sort of unpack this over the next three and a half weeks, but sin is the cause. Now, let me just talk a little bit about sin for a moment, especially for those of you who might be new to church or new to God. I recognize that culturally, sin is not a word that American culture likes to use so much anymore. And probably one of the main reasons for it is that um, it denotes a a moral authority other than ourselves that has handed down a, a rule of right or wrong, and we're subjected to that moral authority. And we don't like to be subjected to anyone as 21st century Americans. We set the standard. We set what is right or wrong. We set truth culturally. And so instead, we use words like mistake or you know, you really dropped the ball on that one, right? But if you were to really think about it, and if you're someone who struggles with the word sin, just think about this for a moment. Does the the depths of the brokenness you see in the world and the depths of the brokenness you see on the news and the depths of the brokenness you see in yourself, does mistake really cover it very well? Does dropping the ball really describe what you see and the depths of which it goes and the seriousness of what happens sometimes? I think if you're to look at it objectively, you would have to say, no, there's got to be something else. There's got to be a different word. The word is sin. It's deep. 
There's, there's two types of sin that the Bible talks about, or, or two categories. First is sin as a verb, okay? And what I mean by that is, it is if there's the standard of right and wrong that God has put out, when we step over that standard, I have sinned. I have sinned verb. But there's also another way to look at sin that's a little bit different. They're obviously connected, but it's a little bit different, versus sin, which is a noun, Sin noun isn't always necessarily, it's not referring to something we're actively doing. That's sin verb. Sin now is this cloud that has covered creation since Adam and Eve sinned. Sin noun is in everything and in everyone. No one is immune. Everyone is affected and everyone is infected. Sin noun is what I want to spend the rest of our short time together today to unpack a little bit. Because when you better understand sin noun, I think we'll be led to better understand why there's problems and what I and the world really need. That, that Pastor Paul that we read from earlier, um, we're going to come back to him because he describes in uh, chapter 7 of his letter, he describes this tension that's going on inside of him that I am guessing that you're going to be able to relate to a little bit. And so isn't it interesting, I just want to set this up, that while there is tension in our world and in the news, and there's a whole lot of tension on Facebook, the greatest tension going on, the root is the tension that's going on right in here and in the hearts of the people of this world. See if you can relate to what Paul writes. He writes this, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. Can you relate to that? I want to act this way, but I don't. I want to be that dad that was written about in that book I read, but I'm not. I don't want to get all fired up about certain things because I know what happens when I do at my family or at my job or at my school. I don't want to do that, but I, I keep doing it. I'm glad Paul talks about this because otherwise we might have thought we're the only one. <laughs> that tension inside that we deal with every day. Verse 16, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. I, I agree more with what the law is saying, what God is saying, than what I'm doing. I, I agree. God knows something. He knows the law is good. <laughs> As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. Well, that's weird. We're going to unpack that a little bit more in a moment. Verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. And then he qualifies that. Well, that is in my sinful nature. So it sounds like there's two parts to Paul. 
We're going to unpack that. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can you relate to that at all? Kind of the same thing. Like, have you ever had desires to, to change? Like, you know, does any of your Jan 1 resolutions look the same every year? I mean, four, well, 39 years of resolutions, maybe not that many, but and 39 years of the same things being on there. And the ones that stay the most are the ones that are the deepest, like the, the personality traits, the things I know I need to kick, and yet it's, it, it, it's always there. I have, I have desires, but I can't carry it out. Um, have you ever had it where you had an argument with someone and you knew that you were wrong after you had time to think, and so you like got up the, the confidence and the humility to go apologize, and then you started to talk with that person, and like all of the, the animosity comes back, and instead of apologizing, you get into another argument. Like, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. Have you ever listened to a sermon? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I, I understand what God is saying. This is, yeah. And the heads nod, and then we leave, and nothing changes. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Isn't that, isn't our lives littered with good intentions that haven't been carried out in our lives? Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, are you tracking with me? There's a lot of do's in there, right? <laughs> I mean, even I'm getting confused here. No. Now, if I do what I don't want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. Now, I just want you to know, kids, that this doesn't cut it as an excuse at home. Like, it wasn't me. It was that sin in me, you know, even though it's true and we're going to unpack it. This isn't an excuse Paul is making. He's just describing what is true. Because you need to hear this. And those Roman Christians needed to hear it. And so, and so do I. What is Paul saying? Well, it's probably good for me to just sort of summarize all of this with a little bit of an illustration. And so I brought some things in to, to help me. So let's, let's regroup. I'm going to explain what we've talked about and to give it in a way for you to take it home. So what, what Paul is saying is that when the people of this world, since the first sin, were born, eh, even when they were conceived, that we were conceived and born as sinners. That the trait that best describes us is that of sinner. That our identity at our conception, our identity when we were born is that of sinner. And there's this thing called original sin or the sinful nature that Paul refers to that just infects all of us. It's sin noun. It's not, this is before you verbed sin. This is noun sin that's just in us. And if, if you have issues with original sin or that a, a, a newborn baby would be considered a sinner, first let me say, I'm with you. It's challenging. But let me also just say, it doesn't take a lot of thinking to realize that it's true, especially if you're a parent. I never once had to take my kids aside at two years old and say, hey guys, this is how you sass back to your mom. 
And here are some words that you can use that I have found helpful. I've, I never needed to do that. And yet, it happened, right? I never had to teach them the word mine or not to share or to be mean. It just happens. How does that happen? It, it wasn't modeled by us. Where do they learn it? Well, the Bible says, Paul says, I know. There's a sinful nature in us. That our identity on our own is sinner. Now, here's, here's the good news. As a Christian, this is the crux of what Jesus came to do. He came to change our identity. He changes our identity through taking on our punishment, and no longer does God see our sin, but instead he sees Christ's perfection and we become holy saints. And our new identity through Jesus Christ, the identity that God offers you through Jesus is that of saint, which is another, it's a Bible word for someone who is holy. And not because we are holy, but because we've been made holy by Jesus Christ. And this is our identity. And as much as we sin through Jesus Christ, he doesn't see it anymore. We are saints. Our next fill-in. Jesus changes sinners into saints. He changes sinners into saints. But until heaven... This sucker sticks around. In heaven, gone altogether. Until then, the sinner part of us stays. Now, it becomes less of, it's not who we are. We are saints, but it's still there looming in the background. And there is this continual battle that goes on. This is how Carrie and I figure out our fights. You know, we just put on the boxing gloves now. Um, there's this battle that goes on in our hearts, and you feel it, and Paul described it, of the sinner and the saint coming at odds. The, the new part that God created in us, our new identity, battling against that old identity that still lingers. And it's an exhausting struggle, isn't it? It's hard. It's like, I want to forgive, but I don't want to forgive. <laughs> I know I shouldn't lie, but if I don't, <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble. I want to be nice. I want to, I want to um, commit myself more to, to the Lord and, and to all the things that he directs me, but life happens, and I lose priority. And there's this continual battle, continual battle, continual battle that happens inside each one of us of that sinner and that saint. Now, here's the thing. As we grow in our faith, as we stay connected to the gospel, what very much happens is that in our daily lives, the saint, we become more and more saint-like, not just in our identity, that never changes, but even in our actions, when we get disconnected to the gospel, when we're not near church because the gospel is there, at times we can go through seasons of life where we're acting more like our old identity and not like our present one. But with God's help, each day, the saint part wins and the victory has already been won. 
you already are saints through Christ. Let's finish up these verses. So I find this, this principle at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me, sinner saint. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. I want to do what God wants me to do, verse 23. But I see another principle at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and make me a prisoner of the law of sin that is at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Now, Paul is kind of like the professional Christian in some ways. He plants all these churches. He writes half the New Testament. When he's honest with himself, looking at who he is on his own, his response, his adjective is, I am a wretched man. And as difficult as that is to consider or to say about ourselves or to say about anybody, it's really good to be at a point where you recognize the depths of who we were and how much we struggle. Because in the understanding of our weakness comes humility, comes empathy, and comes the knowledge of our need for help. Paul, in just a moment, is going to end this section with a verse that before I read it, I want to illustrate it. So, I don't know how many of you, if anybody, recall Northwest Flight 255. Maybe the first question I need to ask is, anyone recall Northwest Airlines? We have such a young congregation, probably not too many. But there was this, there was this, this uh, airline called Northwest once, and there was a flight 255 out of Detroit back in 1979. And it took off for, I don't know how long, maybe about 20 seconds, and then immediately crashed and there was 156 passengers and crew on board, and 155 of them died. There was one lone survivor. Her name is Cecilia. I have a picture of her after the crash at four years old, and then a picture of her now. Now, as people were going through the rubble, they saw little Cecilia kind of move her arm under some rubble and debris, and at first they thought maybe she was, you know, sort of a pedestrian on the road that um, was near the crash and then survived that way because no one else survived, but they ended up identifying her as one of the passengers, and through conversations with this little four-year-old over the next few days, they pieced together how she survived. Here's what happened. As the plane was clearly going to crash, her mom took her seatbelt, her mom's seatbelt off, she got over next to her daughter, sat on the chair in front of her, put her arms around and her feet around, her legs around the chair, and shielded her as best as she could from the debris. And she used her body to save a life, her daughter's life. Now, here's the ironic part. I would think that Cecilia was probably the weakest person on the entire flight, four years old. I mean, maybe there's a two-year-old, a little weaker. There's some pretty strong people on the flight. Her dad was on the flight, I'm guessing stronger than she was. There's a former NBA player on the, on the flight, I'm guessing pretty healthy, pretty strong, didn't survive. The weakest one survived. When she received help from someone stronger than her, what if she would have said, it? Nah, Mom, push her away, she would have died. 
but instead, through that acknowledgement of her weakness, she received the gift of life. Paul says, what a wretched man I am. I'm so weak. And then he ends up this way. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God. He delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He took off his seatbelt in heaven, came down into this earth, put his arms and his legs around us, and through his work on the cross, shielded us with his body on the cross from the eternal effects of sin that would have otherwise crushed us and killed us. Yeah, we're weak. And even though our identity has changed, sometimes our weakness still shows. But Christ has made us victors, even in our weakness. He has rescued us from that. Now, over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three specific, I guess, applications and issues in our society and world right now where sin is still at the cause. We're going to look at specific issues and what God's truth is on it. But we needed to start here. If we as Christians have this issue and can't be who we want to be and don't talk the way we want to talk and don't post the way we should post and all this stuff, right? If we as Christians have issues, how can we expect the world who maybe don't understand who Jesus is to act any differently? And then what is our responsibility as those who are saints to make a difference? And how do we make it? Our last fill-in. The problem is greater than people think. (laughs) Not everyone recognizes this body of sin that we live with every day. But so is the healing, and there is healing. And I'm not saying that our goal is that we need to make our, the government a Christian government. No, that's not, that's not what we're saying in this series. What we're saying is we influence the people around us with how we act, with how we talk with how we react, that, that we remember that, that more than being a mom or a dad, a husband or a wife, that we are a saint, and that when we're saints of Christ, we've been given work to do in our words, in our actions, to share that same love of Christ that has changed us, that has rescued us with the people around us, that what would happen if we recognized just the depths of the situation in people who don't know Jesus and even in ourselves. And then we started with God's help working on this with the knowledge and the the message of what Christ has done for us. We'll unpack that starting next week. Looking forward to having you um, here uh, for part two. In the meantime, let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we thank you that uh, even in my brokenness, that you love me, that you forgive me, that I might be broken, but that is not our identity through your Son. Our identity is that of saint. Help me to never give up the fight, not because I need to fight to win, but because when we fight, we show against sin, we show who we are, saints redeemed by you. 
Help us through this series, dear Lord, to reconsider some things and and how uh, we best use our time and our efforts in, in being an influence in our country and in our world. We pray all this in Jesus' name and also pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. At this time, 